Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I wonder if our guest watched more than 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Minute 8, which begins with a chat about ants and boots and ends with Team Loki heading off the runway. And that's right. It is. Uh, we have a special guest. Uh, Non-credits. Boy, oh boy! What a promotion! What are we doing? We decided <laughs> Tommy had such a hard time getting through that last movie that we said, you know what? Let's just get him in early and make it easy on him. So, <laughs> Tommy Mess the third, or is it Junior? <laughs> no, <laughs> we've been over this. This has been stipulated and <laughs> relegated to the ash pits of history. I'm Tommy Metz the Third, aka Tommy Handsome. Damn you both! And yes, ironically, when last time I had to watch the whole movie because I was only talking about the end, this time I only had to watch the beginning of the movie because I was talking about the beginning, and I watched the whole damn thing. Hey. So, right. I am, I am, I am redeemed, and I know what all of the Avengers are. But I will tell you at some point about. The four uh, scariest words that I've ever heard in my life that had to do with starting this movie. But oh, please continue wow. the entry. Outstanding. That's great. Uh, I guess my first question, though, is did you actually ever finish Captain America? <laughs> nope. <laughs> or was it just like, uh, that first half was all I needed? <laughs> yeah, when I, when I got to that part, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can see where this is going. I bet that, I bet that baseball game's going to be fake or whatever. No, but I did listen to a lot of your episodes later so i kind of feel like i lived it through that <laughs> lived through that. that's scary slow motion. <laughs> slow motion like why would i elongate i don't understand no one knows. <laughs> oh well uh this should be a fun conversation then um we're talking about minute eight very early on in the film and this is right in the middle of uh the conflict going on uh between nick fury and Loki, who has converted Clint Barton to be on his team, and uh, converts Eric Selvig in this minute to join him as well. Plus, there's this the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who I have no idea, unfortunately, who the actor is, but he is also on Team Loki at this point. And Fury is talking. We come in mid-conversation. Nick Fury is finishing his sentence that he started in the last minute. We have no quarrel with your people, meaning the Asgardians. And then Loki has this retort, an ant has no quarrel with a boot, which... Villain moment feels like, one, a very Loki line, a perfect villain line, and also a line that I think is great to set Tommy off a little bit. Nothing like conversations about ants with Tommy. It's almost as if ants and we intentionally wanted to bring up ants when we're talking to you. Wait, did you really pick this on purpose? I'd love to say yes. It is a, okay, because it is a callback. I know that they said boot meet ant later when he's in prison or something like that. They do bring ants back, but this was this was good. But I didn't I didn't realize that it was punitive. <laughs> so I appreciate it. I can't I wait to talk this. about Ant Man with you, Tommy. We'll get you on just like for minute one of that you one. So you don't even have to see an ant. In the- <laughs> That'll be fine. <laughs> I uh, I love this minute because it opens, as you say, with a villain moment. And it ends with a hero moment when Fury gets to say his great line. I kind of think you mean the other thing. I love that so much. This is an yeah. Oreo cookie of a minute. This feels like really, for me, good, strong uh, superhero movie writing in that Unlike, and I, I don't, there's no need to always uh, uh, 
harp on the Snyderverse or DCU or something, but instead of everything being the most important thing, these are very strong men saying strong lines and portent lines, but they're also clever. And they're also playing off each other. It's not just not today and stuff like that. I mean, there, there, there's callbacks, there's runners, there's all sorts of things that are kind of neat. And I like, I, I guess that's not in this minute yet. Wait, is it, that is this minute yet when Loki says his sort of pitch to the human race? Yeah. Uh, right. Freedom. I'm freedom you of freedom. Of- being free, yeah. <laughs> right? That, that you you belong on, later in the movie. He says, "You all just belong on your knees. So why not embrace your natural destiny? Let me take all the of the hard parts, and you just make a bunch of statues of me and my stupid horns, <laughs> and I'll just take care of it." Yeah, this was I really I liked this back and forth. It was very economical, but also very powerful. It works really well in context of Fury and Loki kind of having this focus. It does make me laugh, the whole thing, like what he says, of world made free. Free from what? Freedom. It feels like we're like, that is a line straight from a spoof. Like, I can see that in some other movie that is just a pure spoof of superhero films where someone says that because it sounds so silly. I mean, it plays okay, but it does make me chuckle every time I hear. But it does sound, oh, because I, I, I guess it works for me. But yeah, I guess if you do say, I'm going to give you a land uh, free of carbs. How? Sandwiches. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, at that level, it's sort of a seventh grade presentation of a diorama of the Declaration of Independence. Like, it's layer upon layer of someone who doesn't quite get it, but almost. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, now we also have in this uh, moment, as Loki is saying it, he's delivering the bit about uh, once you accept it in your heart that freedom is life's great lie, he turns, and this is where he touches his uh, scepter tip to uh, to Selvig's chest, and Selvig is then turned. Okay, I want to ch- now. Now, Tommy, you probably aren't aware of this uh, if you haven't watched Thor. I can't remember if you had watched Thor or not. I, I did a long time ago, but like the first Thor, but the first Thor was the one that was the most difficult for me of all. The one where I felt like I was barely hanging on. And that really put a speed bump in me for being able to enjoy Marvel films. Right. Because right, I was right. like, this is exactly what I, and it's just me. I'm not saying that I'm not ranking on Thor. It's just for me, I was like, this is exactly what I don't want my superhero movies to be. What I want is Whedon. Stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that grounding in dialogue and human characters and things. I see. Well, so in that film, at the very end, the post credit sequence, you see Eric Selvig walking down into the depths of somewhere. We're not really sure where he is. And he goes and he meets Nick Fury. This is after all the stuff with Thor, and Thor's gone back up to Asgard, and Loki's fallen off into deep space. And then, and then Fury shows this Tesseract to Selvig. And says, "Hey, do you want to come work with us, and we can explore the, the you know potential energy uses of this?" And then, while that's playing, we see this moment where we see Loki almost as if he's like, um, like, I guess the idea is he's mind controlling Selvig at this particular point, and he's seeing what's oh. going on because he he we see his reflection as Selvig is talking, and Loki says like, "Well, that is interesting, isn't it?" And then Selvig says, "Well, that is interesting, isn't it?" So we realize in that moment that Selvig is kind of this puppet for for Loki, even before he's been touched, even before this. But it was it was like different, and and so I guess you know I don't know in, in the context of the way that they're setting all of this up. 
it's interesting to me still, and we talked about this um, last week, about this whole idea that if Selvig had just been like working under Loki's uh, mind control this whole time, it may have made a little more sense because it seems like, you know, having him pulling, uh, creating this portal to, to open it up for Loki would have helped. But I guess, I, I don't know, I guess the, the question really is like, is there anything that feels different about all of this right now? And, and Pete, I guess, as somebody who's maybe seen all of it, a little more fresh does it i mean how are you reading all of this as far as the relationship between loki and selvig under mind control at this point well i, I yeah i mean i i struggle with it because it it felt to me a little bit of a retcon um because i don't see the connection between loki and selvig and i think we we talked about it in the first couple of minutes that you know, it, it's possible that Selvig is here as kind of a mole, that Selvig is, op- you know, some of the technology that he's put into place has been to support Loki's delivery unto this world. But it doesn't really telegraph that. It feels like, uh, you know, maybe the story, you know, as they were breaking the story, they decided, you know what, we're just going to need to move on from that. It might be too much to explain that we're trying to connect to something that was so far back. Uh, you know, we've just had Captain America. Maybe it's too far to go back before that. So I I struggled with it. Uh, I struggle with it knowing that now since we've talked about it, that I, it feels like a, a sloppy, you know, retroactive, you know, uh, erasing the board. Um, I don't know. I mean, is it clear to you? I mean, it makes it's it's clear to me. It's just I, I guess I have to. I have to retroactively go back to that moment when we see Loki mind controlling Selvig in uh, in that scene and just say, OK, I guess maybe he's realized through all of that that Selvig is a handy puppet because of his position with he's a scientist. He's studying the Tesseract. He already had kind of he's aware of what's going on with other worlds because he had interacted with Thor. And so maybe Loki, again, I'm not exactly sure how Loki met him in the first place or came to him as the person, his point of contact here on Earth. But I feel like maybe he sees him here and recognizes and he knows like, hey, you're the one I've been possessing off and on over these last few years. Um, I definitely want you on my side because I know you are very smart science-wise and having you on my team is going to be critical. Is there a chance, just hearing you guys talk about it, that they were actually being a little more metaphorical and less direct of an actual I am possessing you and just talking about how these two men who seem so different can be brought under the same control by one thing? that being the Tesseract and the possibility that the Tesseract is, that having that much power would corrupt someone who is evil and would corrupt someone who is good because it's just too much. And they're kind of metaphorically saying, well, isn't that interesting? Because it's all going to end poorly no matter who gets it. Or do you, is it really clear that he is looking and seeing them? Like, is, that, is there a chance that was just for the audience? I guess is what I'm saying. It plays in a way where, like, when we see Selvig's reflection, it's Loki's reflection. So it almost plays like, like he is there inside Selvig, and and we as the okay. audience have a chance to see in as to what's actually happening here. And then when Loki delivers his line, and then Selvig repeats it word for word, it does feel like Loki's kind of puppet puppet mastering him. Puppet and what I'm saying him. sounds a little more artsy or. 
esoteric yeah. than I don't know what the word esoteric means than what a lot of these movies are going for. Well, I think that's true. And and second, I think I, I don't know. This probably backs up both our points. One, that Selvig needs to be ultimately end up under the mind control of Loki. And two, that I do I I think the filmmakers didn't give the audience maybe uh, as much credit and wanted to make sure that we got home that that Selvig was under mind control and so they did a do over even if he has been under mind control this whole time oh then they actually they had to actually show it of like show it you know okay this is what that, it looks like to mind control 1%. Yeah, this is it we're going to put <laughs> you over the edge. oh I, for, I forgot the weird eyes yeah. bing bong <laughs> you see what i mean like it feels like even if you if you're totally team andy on this which is Absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely a believable path. We also have the people who are Team Pete who are saying, OK, I don't really get it. Oh, now I get it. Bing bong, blue eyes. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's probably a lot of it. I, it. It is. I mean, it was several movies ago and it's phase one. We're still in this place where those post credit sequences, they might be playing it safe and saying, just in case somebody didn't stay to the end of Thor, you know, right. That's a good point because they don't maybe have the the full courage of everyone's going to know what's going on and and everyone and always the, stays to the end like this was right before we knew every Marvel movie would have a massive post credit re universe redefining sequence yeah and I do want to bring up because you brought up the ending of him finding the Tesseract, you know, isn't this interesting when this movie began? Cause I wanted to go into it being like, all right, I don't want to do my shtick where it's like, I never know what's going on and I'm confused and whatever. Cause I'm going to watch the whole movie. They actually gave me scenes <laughs> instead of a bunch of words going from <laughs> the bottom to the top. Let's take this seriously. The movie starts with a bunch of blue and then some voice goes, and this is the four <laughs> words that I was filled with abject terror of. The Tesseract has awakened. And I went, oh, no, because <laughs> I had not finished the, the, the other movie. And I was like, I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> the Tesseract. I thought I was like, wait, I thought that was the Transformers. And Foster was like, no, that's the AllSpark. And I was like, shut up. But Tesseract was a wrinkle a, in time. That's where, where it was. For, right, that was my that's first time. such a heavy sci-fi yeah. superhero thing. Some voice going, he's a weekend. And I was like, oh, no. But then it ends up really doing a great job at explaining it for the most part. So I was fine. But yeah, this... My blood ran cold. <laughs> That's actually a really funny observation because Andy and I have been talking a lot about how that opening sequence, uh, talking about the Tesseract, is, for those of us who kind of live more in the space than you do, utterly forgettable. Like, it feels like that's a post-credit sequence from some other movie. It is weirdly tacked on, and the movie should, by all rights, start with the helicopter flying over into the base where we ultimately right. end up. And uh, and that... Because that, it's kind of like, who does this prolong belong to? Uh, right, and it doesn't even introduce who th who's talking, and we only see him from right. the back, and we're like, I don't know who this and guy is. And he hands yeah. the scepter to these disembodied hands, which we know that is ultimately Loki, but who else knows that? How else is that? I mean, right. it happens so fast. Like, how else do you connect it to the to the appearance of Loki when he finally bubbles into the NASA um, chamber? So right. th that's really funny that that's a sequence that okay. connected with right. you <laughs> so terribly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, we figured, you know, Tommy will totally be fine with all the stuff going on in the S.H.I.E.L.D. compound, because uh, other than, like, what Loki's doing, it's just fighting. It's just, and it's not even, like, you know, real, like, fake things fighting other fake things. It's, I mean, there's some blue blasts and stuff, but it's not. But mostly it's people being yeah. thrown about. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Which I always like. And it was, it's the weird, does dichotomy mean one way and the other way at the same time? A split, yeah. The dual nature, let, I'll say that, the dual nature of, it's always inherently funny in these movies to have people with like blue scepters shooting things that can destroy things, and then someone runs out with a forty-five. <laughs> That's just always <laughs> funny. <laughs> but it also reminds me how much I prefer forty-fives to blue Lasers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like I yeah. liked all of the. I I really enjoyed the amount of practical human things blowing up, not people, but things blowing up, being thrown around, and the sound of gunfire. There's a lot of that in this movie, and and especially in the second half of the scene during the, uh, in the second half of the minute uh, of the car chase. Sorry, the second minute where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, take out that one blue thing, and we're in a Jason Bourne movie. <laughs> I'm totally, totally down with totally. that. Yeah, so I like that stuff. Yeah, very much feels that way. So, Pete, you called out uh, Fury's response to him about freedom, and because uh, uh, you know he's talking about yeah, freedom is life's great lie. And then Nick Fury says, "Yeah, you say peace. I kind of think you mean the other thing." Yeah, uh, and I think that's. I mean, it's it is kind of a hero line, but at the same time, it's kind of funny. It's like, well, what does he actually mean? Like, what is <laughs> what do you, what? So, what's the opposite of peace? What is Fury saying here? War. I think war is what I took it. I was thinking war too, but I was also like, you know, he could be reading it as slavery, which I was like, that's kind of an interesting right or, or subjugation. Yeah, yeah. And but I think it's funny that it's written as the other thing when it's like you could kind of see a number of different ways because when you're taking There's away somebody's freedom, and and yeah. so I just thought, you know, I don't know, I I just thought it was funny that that's how he says it because it does sound so Nick Fury to just say something like that. And it's not quite as one-to-one as it's written. Yeah. Well, and to your point, I think it becomes one-to-one in his next line. And I think you're probably exactly right. Like the pharaohs of old. What did the pharaohs do? They were deep into the slavery trade. Right? Right. Yeah. right. Exactly. Exactly. I kind of think you mean the other thing. Brunt. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I would love I would love to like there's so many opportunities in this conversation for them to kind of like be free from what? Freedom. Free from freedom? Like, you know, just throw things out and then like I freedom think you mean the free. other. <laughs> right, yeah, free. Keep... <laughs> and then you say the piece, I kind of think you meant the other thing, brunch or whatever, you know, and they just like, there's so many opportunities to turn this into a comedy. <laughs> Dancing on yeah. a razor's edge before lines. this becomes they, an Abbott and Costello film. They are. Well, we were just talking with our last guest about how it could potentially have gone so meta in some of the things, too. So, yeah. like, if they were just saying something to the camera or I was just looking at my script or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> Loki could get away with winking straight into camera. I would have bought that and not fallen out of the movie at all. He yeah, could wink yeah. at me anytime. I uh I, I wanna say after immediately after that we have some uh Hawkeye. Uh, the, a bit of Hawkeye, right? He says, uh, you know, Sir Director Fury is stalling and he has his line where he picks up. He, he also, he shoots Fury and we we have that. But it's something I didn't say when we were talking yesterday um about the way Hawkeye is converted. Uh I love the way Jeremy Renner embodies this character. Like, he doesn't become rigid and 
super stoic. He still has very much a chill vibe about him. He's very much, I'm still Hawkeye, but I'm doing what you're, what you're saying. And he's casual and he's confident and he's moving without a great deal of urgency because he knows everything's handled. And that's such a Jeremy Renner, Renner thing. I feel like that's probably how he, how he just is when he's hanging out on set is just, I'm super chill, whether I'm possessed or not. And uh, or he's just calling the wrong person, sir. Yeah, that's like the big difference. It's the only yeah. difference. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so it, it was great. And I like how he's he calls Loki, sir, now, but still calls Fury, director Fury. Like, yeah, I, I like that. There's still that. In oh, his that's head. interesting. Yeah, I think that's interesting. There's always a chain of command. Right. I just wanted to say Hawkeye is, is Hawkeye generally kind of ranked on. As an Avenger, or is that not? Because I think Hawkeye is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. And I think I might be kind of alone in that, but it's because for the same reason the Batman's my favorite, he doesn't really have any superhero powers. And he's not abnormally rich with clippy robots that can build anything, and he doesn't have like a piece of gum that turns into a super suit. Mm -hmm. He's just really good at being a good fighter yeah. and having good arrows and stuff. So he, I thought he's, a, in this entire movie, I thought he was a badass. In a movie of absolute badasses. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I mean, Hawkeye for a lot of people is never as exciting as some of the others because he doesn't have superhero powers. But like yeah. for me, I, I loved his comics. Like he started the West Coast Avengers and like that was a comic line that I did read and I really enjoyed him okay. as a character, as the head of it. Like I, I really kind of clicked with him and his vibe. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think. Uh, I think there are certainly going to be people out there who are Hawkeye fans. Um, I, I do think, sure. you know, I was a little frustrated as somebody who enjoyed Hawkeye that when he appeared in this movie that he was turned into a villain basically right out of the gate. And it took a while before we, <laughs> before we got him yeah. to actually join the heroes. But still, I do, I do like him as a character. So I'm glad to hear that, that, uh, we've got Team Hawkeye going. That you're not alone. Absolutely. Some of my favorite battle moments were either involving them both at the same time or separately of Hawkeye and Black Widow because they're analog. Yeah. 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 They're analog fighting. And that's really exciting. And Joss Whedon seems to really know that that's important to have moments of that, especially when you're going to do those huge, incredibly well done, take a note, Peter Jackson, but those swinging around continuous shots where we go and check in on every single Avenger and they go from one to one, which is just so masterfully done and so exciting. I had to watch each one three times. That's how you do it. And, and I wonder if Joss Whedon is like, well, how do I get from him to all the way over there? I follow the arrow. Like, it's smart. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You right. can yeah. see all the connective tissue. I'm, I know Joss Whedon is not a beloved figure by far, but he, when he works, he really works for me in this kind of movie. He brings exactly what I need. Yeah, we call him Tignataro in these parts. We've been calling him Tignataro. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, no, it's the, totally fine. No, it's fine. just our little joke from Army of the Dead because, you know, Tignataro replaced that other actor. So yeah. replaced. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's I think your observation is really good in, in terms of what these two characters, particularly uh, Hawkeye and, and Black Widow, bring to the Avengers and why they're so important to level up. It's easy to lampoon Hawkeye because he's got arrows, which are easy to run out of and uh which he does at one point. he yeah. does and at some point you kind of realize what are you doing trucking around with these people with incredible like powers and skills and machines and yet that's why i think he's so great to your point he's the one that's achievable for the as the audience avatar like yes 
I can kind of put myself with a bow and arrow in my hand. I can go out and practice and get better at it. Right. Like, if, I, if, yeah. if I Malcolm Gladwell it, yeah, if I <laughs> use my hours, I yeah, I could use my hours <laughs> and I could, I could achieve something, you know, uh, that would make me feel good like that. I could go out and practice my kung fu and, and do some, uh, do some black widowing, but ultimately the others, I can't, I can't, uh, they're just, fantasy. Uh, so right. I, I think the the audience attachment uh, is really important. And at the same time, it's super easy to do an SNL skit like they did about Hawkeye. Right. You know, so. Right. <laughs> right. Mixed yeah. So now my next thing, I mean, we we're just talking about the, the writer director of this, and this is something that's coming up here that I do have some issues with because it all ends up feeling very written. And, and here it's the, the issue I have is this whole thing with this coalescing tesseract energy that is bubbling up in the ceiling, up in the uh, kind of the dome here in, in our space. We've had some shots. We've seen it there. It's just been kind of spinning around up there doing whatever it's doing. We're not really sure. But this is the point where, like, it does feel a little written because because Barton points it out uh, to Loki, saying, "Director Fury is stalling. This place is about to blow and drop a hundred feet of rock on us. He means to bury us." And Fury says, "Like the pharaohs of old." And then Eric Selvig is on his computer now, and he says, "The portal's collapsing in on itself. We've got maybe two minutes before it goes critical." So, like, all of that feels like. Are you talking about the timing of it? The, the, the timing of it is absolutely, I mean, it's pretty accurate as far as what we're going to be exploring in our minutes. But just the sense of, it's like there's not a threat until Barton says there's a threat and, oh, see, and everybody sure. agrees there's a threat. Because as an audience, like, we don't know that this is anything dangerous. It's just, it's like the writer needed to put something here and say, hey, look at this. This place is about to blow. And suddenly we're like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's about to blow. And now we we go into like the the ticking clock zone. And I don't know. I just, I can't help but feel like I, I wish that I felt it was a little more put together in a way where I just didn't feel like, oh, we need to get something in here real quick so that everybody has to run out of here. Did it bother either of you? I'm wondering if you like if you can put yourself in a headspace of imagining what it would be like if they didn't say anything, like if the the urgency was the urgency that we already had in the room, which was let's get the Tesseract thing and leave and just maybe shoot Fury because Fury's in the way. And then and then the building blows up because it feels to me like I, I guess it's okay. The exposition is okay to me in the context of I don't know what this magic stuff is. When it really bothers me is when I really do know what the mad what stuff is going on on screen and they still decide to expository um expository suppository is what's important. And so um (laughs) I think that uh I, I think this one's okay. I also think it works without any dialogue there whatsoever. Just Action, get him out the door, shoot Fury, move along. It also is implying that Nick Fury knew about it because Barton says he's stalling. All of this has been basically his ruse because he knows we're going to get buried, which, you know, again, it's like we didn't know that he knew any of this. Which is also kind of dumb because who cares if he knew? Like, he doesn't want them to get the Tesseract. Maybe he just wants to get away with the Tesseract. Yeah. I would have preferred it if everyone didn't know everything at the same time. If they had split it up, if if Fury, if we'd seen his eyes just do a real quick flick to some new thing on the computer screen, Barton only because he's good at seeing people yeah. because of his eyes, Hawkeye, he's able to see and goes, something's up, he's um, stalling. 
but not he's stalling. He wants to bury us. Everything's about to happen. Just he's stalling us. And he goes over, which causes the doctor to turn around and goes, he's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's this new development that's because then it would be like a one, two, three. Everyone is good at one thing. Yeah. It's, it's like blocking, that could be kind of fun. Blocking magic, yeah. not just magical awareness. Right. It feels like the sort of situation where, um, had it been blocked differently, had it been directed a little differently, like it's the sort of moment where we needed, I mean, we have a shot of, of Clint kind of looking up suddenly, like looking up to the, to the, uh, swirling energy up in the ceiling, but we never really get a cutaway to see what it is he's looking at. It's just like the way that it kind of is put together. It just feels like all of these things are happening and then all, suddenly they're all on the same page as far as, yeah, this place is about to blow. It just, and it, yeah, it just, it ends up feeling like rushed maybe is the issue and scripted just because we got to get him out of here now. Sure. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a little frustrating to me, uh, but it does lead to Nick Fury getting shot. Now, my question is, uh, that was exciting. Well, it's, yeah, absolutely. And, Knowing where this writer director had come from, and you know, my brain instantly goes to Serenity, which had been a favorite. Uh, the, I loved Firefly. I loved Serenity, and we have a particular key character get killed uh, late in the film, and that really made everything feel very real. Like, holy crap, anyone could die. Like, it it gives us a sense of stakes. Seeing Nick Fury get shot here toward the beginning of the film, I kind of felt the same thing. I'm like, wow, this this almost seems like they're creating a sense of stakes for us here. Like, geez, Fury could die. Now, the only thing, the, ca- the caveat that kind of ruins all of that is the fact that we saw Nick Fury doing a lot of other things in the trailer, so we know he's not going to die. But <laughs> for either of you, was there any sense of that? Like, oh, okay, this, this could be turning into something a little more serious if Fury's going to get shot this early on. For me, it wasn't as much just because I knew already too much that it's not like Nick Fury was going to die. I think that that's maybe set up later and is um, taken by another big character that works for S.H.I.E.L.D. that I don't know how much you're doing spoilers, but that happens later in the film. That adds a certain, a pretty serious amount of gravitas because I like that actor so much. Um, What for me it was, was it was the Cavalier-ess of the act, of the command and the act. That he doesn't say, time's up, Fury Man, we got to go. <laughs> and he goes, take your shot. No, he goes, well then. And then without even a moment, he just goes, boom. Yeah, That's like banality of evil, cool stuff, which makes it be like, oh, we're up a against such an unfeeling force that they will do anything that it takes and experiences the amount of control that 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 there's no Barton scene of like uh, like trying to strain against because he's <laughs> yeah. like a fight it fight right. it and none of that it's just boom I am a super soldier for the bad guys and for me that set up a different type of gravitas it wasn't oh no what if Nick Fury is dead it's we're playing they are playing for keeps yeah which was exciting yeah I totally agree I I was never surprised at, at that just because Andy I think to your point that I already knew just how important. Samuel L. Jackson is to the franchise. You know, this is the first time we get to see him doing his thing as a major character. And so I I, never really crossed my mind that he would be dead for realsies. But uh, it did look like like how it was done. One hundred percent. Although the way he felt looked like he just got shot in the other eye. And like his body body was like, (laughs) again, really? (laughs) Wouldn't that be tragic? (laughs) That was the worst. (laughs) 
That'd be cool if he fell down because he's off screen and you hear, say my. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. It's okay. (laughs) Um, And they also pull him back. I assume it's not him, but that actor back on, you know, he's obviously on something that they have erased like one of those pulling things he is pulled back really violently it's a hard pull it's a sh- it's yeah. a shocking moment yeah. it's cool for sure so much so that i think that's why he falls out of frame is he they had to clear up <laughs> they had they would have had to erase way too much mat yeah, yeah. for sure <laughs> that guy yeah. is hitting something hard yeah so i like i like that scene but not for the exact reasons that maybe you were saying andy but i still think it's extremely important yeah and yeah. sets up cool expectations right 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 I, I and it's i mean i you know there are there are things that i wish could be a little stronger like when hawkeye shoots him i kind of wish there was a little better shot of hawkeye actually doing it i mean we kind of get an under a low shot of of hawkeye as he raises his gun to shoot but i'd like something a little closer seeing his face and everything and and the fact that he doesn't react you know the fact that there isn't that single tear rolling down his cheek as he pulls the trigger on fury or something like that you know like a, a little sense of that um but i do like the 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 it's a it's three quick cuts of fury getting shot and it works exceptionally so like the tension of that and the sound design of that like it's a really loud shot too like all of yeah. that works really well i enjoy the way that all of this plays through the scene now at the very end of the scene as this team i call it team loki as they start walking out um you know just the last little thing that i noticed which i thought i don't know why it strikes me as funny but hawkeye grabs the case and selvig instantly reaches for it and uh, and and hawkeye passes it to him and selvig takes it and, and carries it uh is no, there I didn't notice yeah i don't know if there's any uh, particular reason that they do this uh, any thoughts on that i i guess maybe hawkeye's more the the military guy who probably might be needed for shooting things more than selvig yeah, probably needs his, his hand free yeah. that makes sense because selvig's not gonna have anything to do in the back all <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it would be funny if, if hawkeye passed him his gun instead <laughs> it just kept the thing like that so bad i i do wonder if there's a part of hawkeye's brain that is wishing that he could i i don't know where he left his arrows i mean are we assuming he left like a quiver and arrows up in his hawk's nest that he had and like it seems like he kind of might need those but clearly no, at this make, point they're they, gonna make me so mad just going down this line of inquiry ah i i know he's the arrow guy and he's he doesn't have guy. any arrows with him and i just wonder if part of his brain is saying i wish i had time to go get my arrows the thing is he later has he has arrows later where are the arrows did he he just he just right they're just a write-off it's an arrow write-off well he's obviously so the ones that, that, that are left here get, get written off they're not gonna last too much but longer. we saw him take them out of a case because there's multiple times when he does that snicked, yes, and he undoes it, and he's and it's not just picking it up from something; it's taking it out no, of something, out of the case. Yeah, so he has multiple arrows and bows, but in this case, he left his he had arrows and bow, and he left them up in the in the uh, the hawk's gallery nest. up in the nest up above yeah. in the a few minutes ago. Maybe they forgot to record the ADR when he hands he hands the suitcase to Selby. He goes BRB, <laughs> right? Like he just has to hang like on to this run upstairs me, right? real quick. Hang on to this. I've really got a bunch of pointy friends that I need to go rescue. <laughs> I need my I need my pointy friends. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. 
All right. Well, then that's it. So let's wrap up today's minute. We'll be back tomorrow with Tommy to talk about minute nine. So Tommy, before we uh, before we head out of here, where should people track down or tell us about your movie that you directed and where people can check it out? And can they see your short film yet or no? They cannot see the short film. The short film is called Static. It's my first horror or thriller uh, entry, and it just got accepted into its eighth festival, the Sacramento Horror Film Festival that we're playing later this before this comes out. So good luck. We won all the awards. And now we're the king of Sacramento. Um, and uh, 30 Nights, you can still see, uh, they're still negotiating it to go on to another platform. We were on Amazon Prime. Then we were on the whatever IMDb was coming, becoming freebie. And now, but we're still on our old friend Tubi. Uh. Tubi, you can see the whole thing for free. It's adorable. And it's called 30 Nights or 30 Nights of Sex to Save Your Marriage. And fellow podcaster from the TNR family, Mandy Kaplan, is one of the co-writers and stars. And feel free to take a look. So good. Fantastic. Well, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So you can go check it out on Tubi, our old pal Tubi. <laughs> uh, so we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 9. So, Pete, thanks as always. I can't wait when we might hear Fury say, I caught it in my socket. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>